0: I don't have a name for this either. Um
1: Oh, for this like bonus content?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, I guess in my head I was just thinking of it as our Zarcanum bonus episode, but it's After true that
2: dark. We- oh my
1: god. I mean, we are <laughs> we are literally recording this podcast in the evening and we normally record during the day. So like true. it's a, it's it's a lot more
0: <laughs> Ars Arcanum nights.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Welcome, listeners. You may notice that there are only two this time, two voices in your ears. I'm Nora.
1: And uh, I'm Tilly.
0: And we're here as sort of a bonus episode. We're going to do some more of these for the Patreon. This one is here in the public feed as sort of an appetizer to get you, let you know what else we're going to be doing around here um so far what we're planning to do is read some other extraneous sanderson books but you know those will run out eventually who knows what we'll get up to after that yeah um this time we are reading a short story called perfect state
1: i think technically it's a novella which for science fiction writers is like a meaningful distinction just because um it's different categories that like the Hugos and the Nebulas. Yeah. Um, but the the distinction is literally just based on length. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not
1: like I mean, okay, length is like a short My point is uh it's it it's not like a fundamentally different concept versus a short story or a novella. It's just that this right. is like long enough to have chapters, you know?
0: Yeah. Um it is also a short story in the sense that it is a story and then it is short.
1: That's that's I mean, that's true. It's also novel in the sense that it he was the, it was the first time anyone wrote this story. No one else had done it before him.
0: That's I true. Think. Nobody. This isn't a reboot of anything. <laughs> <clears throat> and it does say perfect state, a novella on the on the cover. So.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So do you want to how do we want to like do summarizing it? Cause um there's a there's a a great coppermine summary as usual. Yeah, there um, is a
0: really good like pretty brief uh, summary. Uh, I figure we could just take it one chapter at a time and
2: yeah, right. I think that we'll see works what for happens.
0: Me. Um, I feel like um, some of the build up, uh, if we do one chapter at a time rather than summarize all at once and then dive in, will be uh, fun for the. Weird turns that this takes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is a this is like <clears throat> definitely a lot of plot packed into not a lot of time. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like bracing after we've just been reading uh, Elantris, <laughs> which is really <laughs> struggling to find its plot. Like this, this does not delay. Um, I mean, it does actually. There's a lot of exposition at the beginning, but but like it it nonetheless it moves.
0: So. I'll just read off this summary uh, for chapter one. Chiromanus, live-born and ruler of the state Alornia, is 350 years old. He's returning to his palace after attending the celebration of the 50th anniversary since he unified the entire state. He discusses the state of his kingdom with his guard and best friend Shale, a machine-born, as well as the threat Melhi, a live-born from a neighboring state. Poses to the kingdom conversation turns toward their past when shale and kai would go on fantastic adventures slaying dragons and hunting treasure when they arrive back to the palace Basque, kai's chancellor informs him of a request from from the woad the humans that administer the states the Wode sent kai to meet with a live-born fe- the bleh, the the woad want kai to meet with a live-born female in a communal state so they can procreate Kai initially doesn't want to go, but Besk eventually convinces him to do so. Rather than meet with the liveborn that the Woad recommend is most compatible with him, Kai chooses to meet with his least compatible option. So, he's a brain in a jar.
1: Yep, he sure is. And
0: more than that, we come to understand that after 50 years, you are told by the Woad that you are a brain in a jar. They are the the humans on the outside world. Um, And also, because of overpopulation and lack of resources, people are, through selection processes, we are never really told about. Uh, A lot of people have their brains taken out as, I think, as fetuses.
1: Yeah, it says, I believe it specifies that it's, the brains are removed as fetuses, and the world that you will then live in is shaped according to your developing fetal personality. Um, Right. That's a concept. The concept that a fetus has anything like a personality. Um, Oof. Like, even just... This is just the beginning of the premise, right? Like, this is not yes,
0: yes. the final this, twist. <laughs> this is the first step, which is brains and jars. There is also this concept of a self that is, like, innate, that you can, like, map out a fantasy world for each individual person based on how their personality is developing as a, as a fetus. Um, and,
1: of but- course, there's also the fact that all, it, it is suggested, all live-born, which I think we're given to understand is, other than the woad, that's all of humanity? Like, I don't yes. think we're meant to believe that there are people just living normal lives who aren't brains in jars, or who aren't attending to the brains in jars.
0: We um, aren't told that, but I have to assume there's more to the human species than just a bunch of desk well, workers.
1: I don't know why you would assume that. Um, I think that... I mean, okay. So, this has to do with, I think, a little bit how you interpret the Um, ideology that the woad is running on here. Uh Uh-huh. Which is called Zinwei's Doctrine. Um,
0: Right, okay. So the... Forgot about Zinwei's Doctrine.
1: Right, uh, which, to quote directly, Zinwei's Doctrine states that the most essential morality of mankind is to create the greatest amount of happiness among the greatest number of people while using the least amount of resources. Um... Turned out the best way to create greatly satisfied people using minimal resources was to remove their brains when they were fetuses and attach them to simulated realities tailored to fit their emerging personalities. So each real person or each live board, um, has an entire world that is for them. Um,
0: yeah, they are the most important person in the world and all of the events of that world are sort of orbiting around them as like a focal point.
1: And, and like, I don't think we're meant to believe that every single live-born... I mean, I, I know we're not meant to believe, because this is made clear. But even as of this first chapter, I think we're meant to believe that not every single live-born is doing what Kai is doing, which is to say, literally ruling the entire state that they live in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, it does seem like every live-born is, like, yeah, is central to their state. So, like, there don't seem to be any people who's... Ideal existences, according to the Wode and Zenway's doctrine, is just to, like, vibe. <laughs> everyone, everyone is out here, like, conquering and changing the world. And, like, basically being a character from, like, uh, a science fiction or fantasy narrative of some kind.
0: This is just, like, taken to an extreme, the version of, like, people who... Um. decide, I'm going to show my kids Star Wars in the right order.
1: <laughs> it, it kind of is. Yeah, it is very much like I'm not just indoctrinating my child into nerd culture on a, at a young age by showing them that media. I'm indoctrinating them into nerd culture by removing them as a fetus and creating an entire nerd genre world for them to grow <laughs> up in <laughs> and become the king of.
0: Right. Uh, he's an orphan, as all good kings are, it says. Except
1: Except he's not. The Wode are his parents. The fact that he doesn't recognize that, even after fucking 300 years of being (laughs) kind of annoyed with the Wode and how they control his life and they made his existence, but he hasn't yet figured out that the Wode are his fucking parents is... Come on, dude!
0: Well, he specifically doesn't think about them, because he doesn't like the idea that everything is, like, preordained for him.
1: Yeah, that's also how I feel about my parents. Like, I don't like thinking about how they planned out my life and, like, is everything I'm doing just the thing that they wanted me to do. But like, they're not, my parents in real life are not actually omnipotent entities that created the simulation I live in. Like Mm -hmm. my desire to not really think about them in our relationship is like a natural thing for an adult to do because you can move out of your parents' house. But Kai cannot move out of his parents' house because it's a jar.
0: (laughs) He's a brain. Yes. Uh, And then also we have machine born. Who are the uh, the NPCs living in the world uh-huh. um, and they each have a concept which is a capitalized word um, and, it, and they're you it seems like
1: the idea is that the concept is like literally like a character concept so like he yeah. talks about his best friend shale is like a his bodyguard and he's like a knight and he talks about mm-hmm. how like shale is kind of like dissatisfied now that they've successfully conquered the world because they're not running around going on quests and shale is kind of like looking for opportunities to personally fight to defend Kai. And Kai is like, yeah, I mean, of course, that's how you are. That's your concept. You're supposed to be a knight in shining armor. Um, Which, I mean, if I thought about my best friend and was like, wow, well, the only reason he really does anything he does is that my parents programmed him to be that way to make me happy. (laughs) That would deeply disturb me. But like, Kai just kind of seems to take it in stride and is like, yeah, my best friend has a concept that makes him act in a certain way. That's kind of stupid in some situations, but you know what? He's still my best friend.
2: Well,
0: Kai specifically sees machine born as people in a way that seems to be unique or different from most of the other live born that we meet. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, um,
1: I think just because he's the protagonist and he's a nice guy and thinking that people are people is usually a nice guy trait in fiction. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I, want to be clear. The personhood of machine born, I actually think is a a genuinely fraught and interesting topic for this story. I I don't think the story as published makes any clear statements on it. Although I wouldn't be shocked if Brandon believes that it makes clear statements on it. (laughs)
0: There is a weird thing at the very end about Machine Born um, that we'll get into later. Uh, But this is a thing that came up in Soma where you could vote in like a little thing of like, do you think we should create like fake people in the arc inside with everyone else when their brains are uploaded? Could we, is it, it, would it be chill if we made like an entire new species of like fake humans to help you out and like be your companions or I guess just slaves in the <laughs> digital arc uh that you would like they wouldn't be real people but they would be in there and you could like interact with them and everything. Um that doesn't okay. happen. So there there's no actual like commentary on that. It's just presented as an idea and then you can click yes I think that sounds cool or no
1: I feel like fiction that wants to engage with the idea of created minds, right? Like AIs, Mm -hmm. but there are Mm -hmm. also non, there there are like fantasy flavored ways to do this, right? They can also be fucking spirits or whatever the hell. Um, Very often um, just punts on the question of like, okay, what would it mean if we had a bunch of beings that have a... A, a, a mind that is kind of like a human's, that maybe has been designed to emulate certain aspects of a human's, but that also has some aspects that are not at all human, like, like this concept thing, right? Real people don't have like a overriding role that is programmed into them that they cannot disobey, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and so, like, this is, I think, something that, very often when fiction is exploring something like this, it's just doing it as an allegory for real world relationships between actual humans. And so, like, the obvious answer is, yes, of course, the robots are people. It's monstrous that you even want us to think that maybe they're not because you're having them speak and act exactly like people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I-, I think that there is a kind of assumption in the way the story is written that you're going to take the same view on machine born that like, obviously they're people. um, And thus it's going to be sympathetic when Kai thinks of them as real people. Um, But I don't know. I don't know how much I'm convinced, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I think if I were the woad and I had the values that the woad obviously has, I don't think I would care that much about making machine-born real people so much as I would care about making them have verisimilitude, and the only verisimilitude they really need to have is to people who have been raised entirely within this simulation, right? Um, Like, I guess what I'm saying is, Kai has this idea that he can tell the difference between a machine-born and a live-born, and that a machine-born is gonna have this kind of set of, like, stereotyped behaviors because they have a concept. But I don't Mm. actually believe that if he ran into, uh, you know, two people, and they were both like, oh, I'm the machine-born, the other one is the live-born, and vice versa. <laughs> I don't think Kai would be able to figure it out.
0: So. I, I think we are given pretty good evidence on how successful Kai is at recognizing when and someone is and is not a live-born by the end <laughs> of the story.
1: Okay, true, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We so,
0: should- yeah, I was about to...
1: Suggest we move along.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So he chooses the... Oh,
1: I do want to, like, just mention before we go too far that, like, uh, a bit in this first chapter that was immediately exciting to me is that Kai has a nemesis who is obviously portrayed as kind of like a supervillain, right? Um, Because it's mentioned in the summary that he talks about the threat that Meli poses to the kingdom. Um, This specifically shows up in the form of, like, Meli starts making words appear on the wall of Kai's castle that say, like... You know, like, child emperor, I have created a nice surprise for you. And I'm like, (laughs) ah, yes, I know exactly who this person is. Like, this is the, you know, this guy is all about, like, hacking and technology, whereas Kai is all about, like, swords and sorcery. And he's like, you know, uh doing things that Kai doesn't fully understand how they should be possible. And he's taunting Kai and it's like, yeah, all right, I can get into like a hero villain relationship. Like I like this shit. Um, and so I was actually a little disappointed when I realized that um, he wasn't going on a date with Melly, Uh, because the, the premise of the story is like the thing on the back of the cover is like, ah, the 300 year old, like King of the entire world has to go on a date. Um, and I was kind of hoping it was going to be with his nemesis for some reason, but uh, mm-hmm. the way it's initially portrayed is like, no, Melly's just kind of an annoyance, as is, frankly, the date. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're separate annoyances for him.
0: Yeah. Um. So he he picks. uh
1: Oh yeah, right. They've given him a list of of, of women based on compatibility, which that concept's not uh, interrogated at all. Uh, no, it's I mean, just like,
0: it's just like Okay, Cupid or whatever.
1: God, yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to me because I feel like if I were the wode and I was categorizing people according to their compatibility with Kai. I I mean, this is where the whole concept of the liveborn falls down because it's like they're all these type A overachievers and like, two people like that don't generally like to date each other. Like, certainly in fiction, there's a lot of stories where that's really fun, where you have two people who are like, going out and fucking changing the world and whose wills are indomitable and they clash against each other. And like, that's mm-hmm. what can appeal about a superhero supervillain relationship. But like, in real life, when you have two people who are both really convinced that they're the most important person in the world in a room together, it's it's usually not a pleasant experience for either of them. Um, and the system that the Wode has set up has created, like, only people with that kind of personality.
0: <laughs> yeah, at, at least as far as we can tell. Um, we definitely... I assume there are people whose lives aren't being president of space or whatever, but, like...
1: I think the sense that I got is that not all liveborn have the same flavor of conquering the world perhaps some liveborn don't even end up the actual ruler of their entire world but that they are all like people whose will shapes their worlds if that makes sense mm-hmm. or at least they yeah. are they're given the fantasy of that actually the opposite is true their their will doesn't shape anything everything around them is shaped by the woad but like Um, I guess what I'm saying is there doesn't actually seem to be anybody who is living in like a cottage core state, you know, there's no, (laughs) uh, there's no coffee shop AU state, or if there is, Kai has never heard of those people.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: as opposed to like, he's heard of like, people who live in states that work very differently from his along different kinds of lines, like, everyone he's ever every live born he's ever heard of is a protagonist. But some of them are protagonists from different kinds of like fiction, maybe, you know. Maybe
0: that's the the neighborhood he's in. Maybe <laughs> like this is the this is the Dovahkeen quadrant.
1: Well, but that's what I'm saying though is that like we've got like Dovakin and we've got like James Bond and we've got like Hillary Clinton. Hillary
2: and shit. Clinton.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, we'll get to the girl he goes on a date with, um, but. Like, there's no secondary character feeling live-born. You know? Right. There is presumption. I, I, I do think part of how this... I think part of what Zinwe's doctrine has enforced is that there's nobody... There's no live-born living that kind of life.
0: So there's this implication that nobody... Nobody's ideal world is them not as the most important person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really do think that protagonist is the right word here because it, these worlds are extremely narrative. Like it really does feel like the, the simulations that these people in are in are not really, not really worlds so much as they are stories. Like the, the vibe that everyone's just living in a video game is honestly pretty strong.
0: Yeah. Um, he, He talks about finding the like draught of immortality or whatever. That was like he specifically calls it like a reason for him to be alive this long, like to justify in like internal narrative uh, consistency, consistency, like why he's still experiencing the flow of time in this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Uh, chapter two.
1: Yeah, sorry. Uh, Do you want me to summarize this one so we can like alternate or? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, so Kai arrives in Maltese, the communal state he is to meet his date in. Communal state also capitalized. Um, That seems to be something like not the same as a border state, but like something in between different
2: states. Right, so a
0: border state is a a zone that is between two full states, but there are no live-born who live in the border states. Yeah. Um, They exist to provide something in this in the case we see uh like a resource for the two neighboring states to like fight over
1: like to be Uh, honest they exist to be like colonized pretty much yeah at least that's how it's portrayed again like we don't really know
0: the one we see definitely
1: yeah like there could be a there's a lot about the setting where it's like well there could be other experiences that aren't just like kai's um Mm -hmm. but but it's very
0: but it's a (laughs) novella um yeah. and you know i'm on the copper mind right now i can probably find uh how long this is i don't I it actually yeah, does like,
1: it was like 150 pages on my ebook reader which means nothing <laughs> sorry um no
0: i think it was like 50 pages or 46 pages long
1: cool yeah so i don't I don't fully understand the distinction between a communal state and a border state since they're both types of state that can exist that aren't the same as the like state states where which are each one live born per but like live born can meet in these intermediary areas. I think maybe the idea is that a communal state is like administered directly by the wode and it's yeah. supposed to be stable whereas a border state is like just kind of free free real estate <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's free real estate. <laughs>
1: Okay, so, Maltese is a state that has trains, cars, and handguns. Uh, There is also some future technology that this state has been introduced to. Suffering from some very mild culture shock, Kai is alarmed when a firearm goes off nearby. Rushing to the source of the noise, Kai steps into a confrontation between a group of men and two young women, one of whom is on the ground and seems to be bleeding. Kai engages the men with his own handgun, attempting to rescue the woman left standing. The woman turns on Kai, trying to shoot him, so he shoots her back, hitting her in the chest. He then ditches his handgun for a metal rod to use as a sword and attacks the men, breaking one of their hands. The men stop Kai and the women get up, revealing that it was all a game of paintball between Liveborn. Kai leaves for the restaurant that his date is supposed to meet him at after being the brunt of some jokes. So the whole point of this chapter, I guess, is just to be like, uh, just to give Kai the shock of, like, going from a world where he is the only real person and he's basically any given epic fantasy protagonist mm-hmm. uh, and then he has to go to a world where actually it's fucking you know, it's noir time it's James Bond, people are using handguns he has to wear a suit and he's like mentally commenting on how it's a stupid garment to wear because of course there's a joke like that um. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, un- it's it pulls at him in weird places because he's used to wearing robes and armor I guess
1: I mean like look it's true that like a suit, if you've never worn one before, it probably is like mm-hmm, strange and mm-hmm. uncomfortable to wear, but it absolutely is like uh there's a very funny bit where he like he, he 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 removes his what I assume is like a bowler hat or some shit and throws it to the ground is like it would be shameful to cover up my regal hair. Well <laughs> Uh
0: I assume that it's this uh this outfit from Maltese Falcon is what he's wearing. This is what I was just imagining.
1: Uh, I have to go look at... Hold up. Yeah, no, I think that's probably correct. Uh, just like a a fedora, an overcoat, mm-hmm. uh, a suit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's,
0: he's, a, he's a cool guy now.
1: <laughs> I, I also think, God, as long as we're talking about the fashion, I do think it's very funny that, like, um, Kai gets off the train in Maltese and has been, like, you know, assigned the suit, and he's looking around, and everyone else is in suits. And I'm like, mm, is everyone else in suits? I feel like at least half of them should be in, like, dresses. Uh, <laughs> and, like, I mean, you know, just one of those places where I feel like the um, the things Brandon doesn't always think all the way through are sometimes very telling.
2: Because, mm-hmm,
1: um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it is, like, it's true that if you're in a Vaguely noir flavored fantasy setting, or I guess it's a science fiction setting, whatever. Um, like, yeah, you're gonna see a lot of suits, but you're also gonna see a lot of different fashion. And like, if you don't know what a suit is, you're not gonna look at the crowd and be like, oh, they're all suits, you're gonna be like, oh, it's half suits and it's half dresses. <laughs> You're only yeah. going to say they're all suits if you don't think women matter, or if you can't see, it, or if there aren't a lot of women in Maltese. And if that's the case, what does that mean? Do they have sexism in Maltese? Do they put that in there on purpose for it to be fun for people?
0: Or does everyone just wear suits?
1: I mean, that would be cool, but the women who shoots are wearing dresses. I'm pretty sure. So, huh? Yeah, well. I, it would be great if it was just a setting where everyone is wearing like a sharp.
2: <laughs> this James is suit bond. town.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um. Oh, well, I. God, another actually similar vein where I'm just kind of like, "Fuck you, Brandon." Is that there's a bit where he hears someone playing some music, and there's like what I think oh, is god. meant to
2: be. Oh, I god.
1: Think it's meant to be some kind of like um, description of how a like fantasy hero dude would understand like a swung beat if you would literally never heard it before, right? And, no. and and so I'm like, okay, like, I understand you were trying to talk about a kind of music that this man has never heard before in his life. Uh, but I believe the word slurred is literally used to refer to the sound of like a horn. Yeah, and it's just like, I know that what you mean is that it has a swing beat that not every fucking quarter note is exactly the same value. But in the real world, there are racial connotations to that and saying uh-huh. that it sounds slurred as opposed to swung or any other description you could use is like ugh, anyway sorry that's like not a thing that matters in the story certainly it's just like just little things like this where i'm i'm just very aware that there are things that i think of as like world building that
0: oh oh i have i actually found the sentence yeah a street performer I passed was playing a loud brass horn, as if sounding the call to war. Though the song had a slur to it, almost as if the music itself were drunken.
1: Yeah, just like why? Like again, and- I get the joke there. You're just trying to make it like a cute. This is not it. I don't think in in Brandon's head that was anything different from the bit where he is like, ah, "I do not like this suit." Um, but like, <laughs> it is different, actually. <laughs>
0: Uh, And then he, he, the rest of that paragraph is him saying, God, I'm glad that the bards back home haven't heard this.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, man. I also think it's very uncreative of the woe to just have all the music in a fantasy state be like, you know, fucking like medieval, like (laughs) hymns or whatever. Like, I think he should be out there, like, I don't know, listening to like, some kind of metal that's about, like, Valkyries and shit like that. Ooh. Like, I was gonna
0: say, the thing I was gonna say is, like, what if he'd only heard chiptunes his whole life?
1: Oh my god, yeah, no, but the woad aren't smart <laughs> like that, so.
0: Hmm. Very similar, dude.
1: <laughs> Yeah, because a fetus is gonna know. God. I mean,
0: literally all conception of re- what reality is and what is and is not internally consistent with reality is completely at the whim of the Wode. Yeah, no, like,
1: the fact that the Wode have basically created ideal universes and what they've done with them is just made, like, genre pastiches I think speaks to a deep, deep lack of imagination on their part. And, look, I say this as someone who fucking loves, like, genre fiction. Like, if someone transplanted me into Maltese and I could play paintball as, like, a James Bond dude, I would have a great time. But, like, If you could literally create anything.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, I feel like this is almost like... Oh, we... It can almost be seen as, like... The type of world where... The whole first core pitch of this story is true. Where there's overpopulation and a lack of resources. Like... It's a very capitalist frame of thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the whole. This idea that capitalism will eat on itself until there is no. New idea. There's just. Remaking old stories again and again and again. And like getting so trapped into that cycle that you've created utopias and they're all Dragon Quest. God is like
1: I, I want to like put in the slightest bit of defense here which is that I don't think the story explicitly uses the word overpopulation it just uses that idea of like using as little resources as possible I thought now, I
0: thought there was something about there being too many people to I, I
1: don't, don't remember that but but so the the reason that I mention that is only because I think so I like I think that there is a sense that like the reason that this has happened is that somehow yeah, like, the, the human population that exists can't be supported in a different way, right? Like, right. um, I think that that concern about resources is kind of gesturing at that idea. Yeah. Um, I guess I just wanted to give, um, Brandon the slight benefit that he wasn't actually using the word overpopulation seriously mm-hmm. in 2015.
0: Um, okay. Yeah, that's fair.
1: <laughs> um, I also think there's maybe a suggestion that because of their... Oh, we haven't named it yet, but Zinwe's doctrine is very obviously a utilitarian moral perspective. Um, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. the idea that you can quantify human happiness and that the ideal human existence would be the one in which the maximum number of people are maximally happy somehow. That is, like, a utilitarian philosophy um, of, like, that that, that is a... That's what that understanding of morality is. Um, And there is in that morality, like both in the way it's presented in this story and also just like in real world utilitarian arguments, there is sometimes a a kind of um, suggestion that it's better to have more people because if you have more people, then there can be like more total happiness, right? Like if I have one person who's like perfectly happy, that's not as good as having two people who are perfectly happy, Mm -hmm. Um, which like... I mean, to my mind, that's one of the things that, that's one of the issues with utilitarianism, right, is is like the question of whether it's a good thing to make more people or not is, it's a weird thing to make central to your moral philosophy because human beings creating more people is not really a thing that I think moral philosophy can either prevent or cause Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but like uh i think you you could reasonably believe that the issue is less oh the earth became overpopulated so we had to put everyone in brains and jars and more like we were intending to create trillions of people and so the only way that we could actually do that in a practical sense was to put them in jars because our moral philosophy tells us that we need to create as many people as possible
0: Mm -hmm. um um, I do wonder like how many like cubicles there are of people managing these worlds.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a very good question. Like the question of how many live born there are and how many people are in the woad, I think those are both like really left pretty open and, and they they have a lot of implications. Uh, it's also like what state is Earth in, right? Like is yeah, Earth oh, perfect. well because like you could certainly imagine a version of this story where earth is like a bombed out wasteland or it's like because of climate change there's barely any place that's habitable for humanity or you know something like that um Mm -hmm. and so all we have is like this one server room with all the brains in it um that's like on high ground uh but we don't know that that's the case like we don't know whether or not earth or any planet is habitable.
0: We really don't know anything about the outside world. Yes. Um, I do want to point out. Because I just looked it up. Because I mm-hmm. didn't think to look it up before. About what the word woad
1: means. Oh yeah. it W-O-D-E is how it's spelled in the story. Yeah. Of course it is capitalized.
0: What does it um, mean? Here's an... Archaic meaning uh, mad, crazy, insane, possessed, rabid, furious, frantic.
1: Oh, hmm. Or out of
0: out of one's mind. Hmm.
2: Now Kai is
1: always in his mind because he doesn't have a physical body because he's a brain in a jar. So he's actually the sanest one around here.
0: <laughs> he's not trapped in here with you. Oh god.
1: There's um, some person out there, right, whose perfect state is one where they're Hannibal. Right? There's somebody who they like tested him as a fetus and we're like, oh yeah, this motherfucker just really wants to torture and kill a bunch of people. Well, I guess we'll give him a state where he can do that.
0: <laughs> is, do, you, sir, don't you think that's kind of fucked up? Uh no, always doctrine. doctrine
1: states.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: they're not people. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> um so chapter three. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he gets into the box with the cables that takes him up to the top of the building. <laughs> um, Kai arrives at the restaurant, getting a table to await his date. She soon arrives, but the two get off to a wrong start. Eventually, they both get introduced, and Kai learns that his date is named Sophie, alive born from an emerging equality state, which is capitalized. They soon find themselves delving into a deep discussion. I'm going to put quotes around deep. Uh, <laughs> regarding the relationship between the live-born, machine-born, and the woad. Just as Kai begins to feel some connection to his date, they are interrupted by a message from Melly threatening Kai. Kai convinces Sophie to leave the, tab- leave the table, and he leads her to a staircase, and they begin to climb. Sophie inquires as the relationship between Kai and Melly, which he is reluctant to share, but eventually decides to do so. And then the next chapter is going to be like a flashback. Yeah. Um.
1: So this is this is really where the politics starts. I mean, the whole thing is, <laughs> but this is really where the politics.
0: We said the word utilitarian like three times already. This can't be where the politics starts.
1: I mean, this is where this is where Kai appreciating that there's politics starts. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, no, Kai is absolutely perfectly capable of being ordered to reproduce by the state. Because, like, the woad are the state, right? They control yeah. everything about everyone's lives. They're the fucking state. Um Not this, like, stupid little made-up Skyrim that he lives in, but... Anyway, um... But, like, Kai doesn't, uh, start to... God... The fact that he doesn't really question his world until he meets Sophie is... I mean, it's... It's classic for, like, a romance story, right? That someone has something about their life that has... That is important and that has been bothering them, but that they've been pushing down and then they meet the person that they're going to romance and that person forces them to think about it like that's, Mm -hmm. that's classic romance writing. Um, And, you know, I think it works okay, like the way that Sophie challenges his worldview is not bad. Um, But it is also very, very funny to me that he's not even thought about any of this shit in 300 years. (laughs)
0: Well, he's he actively avoids thinking about it because it makes him a little bit uncomfortable and he doesn't like that.
1: <laughs> That's... God. <laughs> oh. He so, doesn't like,
0: like feeling uh, like he's not in control.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, think you'll, I think you'll find that the question of whether Kai likes being in control of things is up to... Subject for debate. (laughs) Um, We should talk about what Sophie is like.
0: Yeah, Um, so she introduces herself as from an emerging equality state and says, I led a worldwide civil rights movement, brought my people into the progressive era, then served five terms as the first female world president.
1: Now, to be clear, she thinks all that is stupid bullshit for kids.
2: Right. And um, she's
1: right. It is. <laughs> because, like, they her world is one where she was given the opportunity to, like, quote unquote, reform uh, a, a quote unquote, like, backward system. But it was set up to be backward so that she could be this big reformer, right? Like, she understands the deep artificiality of the whole thing, and it pisses her off.
0: Yeah, um, so uh,
2: Oh God, sorry
1: I just, I'm looking at the actual book and I hit On a line that is just A a, a shot Mm -hmm. across the bow She's, um She's, she's looking at Kai, she's kind Of, uh, trying to describe Him, um, and, and like how she Sees him as obviously being of a type Which, I mean, he fucking is (laughs) Um, she says You're an authoritarian Uh, You're an authoritarian, semicolon. You came here because you were ordered to, even though you didn't like it. So what she's saying is that authoritarians do what they're told? Which Uh... is true about Kai, but that this is something that she believes about, like, authoritarian political leaders more generally is absurd. (laughs) Like, Kai does what he's told because he's not really an authoritarian Leader, He's a little boy who is playing dress up as a king. Right. Well,
0: you see authoritarian just means that you respect the concept of authority wherever it happens to lie, even if it's not in like your own hands. It just means that, you know, if somebody with more authority tells you to do so, well, of course, that's the, the, where the authority is.
1: Yeah, and, like, nobody has ever been like, oh, yeah, I actually am the only ordained divine king. And all these people who say that they're more important than me are actually, like, evil. And I, it's my job to destroy them. Like, no one has ever thought like that. Mm-hmm. And been an authoritarian.
0: Um, yeah, there are a couple words in this chapter that Brandon... Has an idea of what they mean, but it's not the right idea.
1: I mean, it doesn't totally break my interest in the story for Sophie to have a nonsensical understanding of politics, even though... (laughs) She she
0: has a really nonsensical understanding of politics, because she's also the character who calls herself an anarchist in, like, six pages.
1: Oh my god, yeah, no, (laughs) We've had a discussion on Ars Arcanum about, like, whether and when Brandon read Marx. Um, Uh But it is very evident from this book that he has never read any anarchist theory. (laughs) Any. Like, not even, like, the the shittiest, like, most slapdash little online summary by, like, a 20-year-old who also has not read any anarchist theory. Because Uh even that, like, even like what I'm the 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 kind of bad anarchist theory that I'm describing is still going to tell you that anarchism is a political ideology and not just destroying everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, um she let me see here. She abandoned all of all of the things that she did. Uh she says, "I gave up the presidency, walked right out in the middle of a world senate meeting." It caused quite a stir at the ant hive of programmed minds. I snuck off to a high science state, capitalized, learned some technology that wasn't technically forbidden in my own state, then came back and armed a rebel faction with advanced weaponry. That destroyed world peace and started a global war that's still going.
1: So, yeah, I mean, like, she's she just wants to see the world burn. She just wants to start conflict for the sake of conflict, because she doesn't really see any of it as real. Um. Meanwhile...
0: Uh, Uh, Kai, who does see it as real, says war was necessary for unification. My state consisted of 40 different kingdoms when I was younger, all crammed into one continent. Bloodshed was constant. Only unification stopped that.
1: And it's like, I mean, the fact that he doesn't think for a second about like, yes, Kai, they did that on purpose for you. It was a present for you for your like 10th birthday <laughs> that the entire world was at constant war and only you could stop it. Like buddy. He is just ignoring so much. Um Yeah. Uh She also seems it's interesting to note um you know They are both from worlds that adhere to a certain narrative, right? It's clear that Sophie is from, like, the West Wing or some shit. Um, Like, she is is from a world where getting elected uh, is supposed to be the important drama that happens in the same way that fighting a dragon is supposed to be the important drama that happens in Kai's world, right? Um, But Sophie is so much more aware of, like, the genre tropes of a fantasy world, as well as the tropes of her own, you know, Mm -hmm. like she's conscious of the fact that the elections she won were basically just for show. But she also knows, like she's able to, she says this thing to him about like, have you discovered the lost continent yet? And he's like, "Uh, there's no such thing. And she's like, yeah, they're going to give you a lost continent when you get bored. Right. (laughs) And like, She's she's clearly done some kind of degree of, like, study of other states. Like, she's tossed to mm-hmm. other live-born. It, it, like, we don't know how exactly this has taken place. But she just... It's not just that she has a different perspective on the world because she's from a world where things are more advanced and more politically focused. It's also that she has, like, chosen to step outside of that context in a way that Kai has never done.
0: I also think it's interesting that... Um... I don't know whether her constant jokes about like, Oh, do you want to summon your unicorn or whatever? Is that, is that based on having experience with other fantasy states? Or is that based on her state? That is sort of a modern human earth setting having it in itself.
2: It's own.
0: Yeah. Like fantasy novels and stuff and movies and TV shows that she's drawing from there and also are any of the f- pieces of fiction in modern worlds actually just feeds of other states that are fantasy states
2: Ooh. because
0: you could really consolidate on on a lot of stuff if yeah, you were we running the simulation
1: we know that the Woad are not very good writers, so like it does make sense that they would be like, Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, I don't wanna have to write a whole fucking like Game of Thrones series for this stupid, like, West Wing world we made up. Let's just like give them a TV feed on whatever the fuck is <laughs> happening and what is kind Kai's stupid little Sorry, I have a lot of contempt for the Woad at this point, and it's really coming up. <laughs> Alornia. We're gonna give them a nice little live feed on Alornia and they can have fun with that. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs>
0: um I just wanted to point out this section as they are, um, as they're talking, uh, they eventually start talking about machine born and live born. Um, what's the actual difference between thought that happens in a brain in a jar versus thought that happens in a, in a computer. Um <laughs> I don't think Brandon has read quite enough books to really flesh this conversation out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but it, you know,
1: there's also, there's a bit where there's a bit where um, Kai says, I'm pretty sure I've read that the woad recognizes the rights of machine born. And I'm just like, buddy, how many machine born have you personally killed who were created to be killed by you? Mm-hmm. That's not a true statement. <laughs> Like, I believe that the Woad probably has some kind of rules by which they govern their treatment of machine born. I-, I wouldn't be shocked if there is some type of treatment that is considered unacceptable, um, especially on like a societal scale as opposed to like an individual scale. Right. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sense like they mention that if a live born dies, uh, the Wode don't just like delete their entire state, uh, but they do put another live born in. Mm-hmm. Who is gonna you know change that state who knows how um but like yeah, so it, it is very clear that to whatever extent machine born might have quote unquote rights, they are obviously second class citizens to a to an absurd degree
0: yeah, and even then it's like you don't no one knows whether or not they don't delete states like oh yeah (laughs) you would never be able to know that they could tell you that they could tell you anything
1: yeah no i absolutely like the only Um, reason that i find the idea that they rather than delete a state put a new person in plausible is because like they do say that yeah like I, i find that believable because if you were trying to make yourself look good i don't think you'd say that i think you'd say something like well they just let that state keep running on their servers forever as a you know Mm -hmm. kindness to those machine born um but it's like no very clearly they only let states exist to the extent that those states are facilitating the experience of live born
2: yeah
0: And, and then it gets into this point of like well in the real world no one actually touches anything they just feel the resistance of atoms against each other and when you see things, you don't actually see things. It's just the light hitting the cells in your eyes in a certain way and like bouncing off of objects. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) like, like I I know that it's saying that, you know, it's all data either way. So what's the difference between being in a computer simulation and being a human in the world? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I just feel like have Sanderson writing this after like all the other fantasy stuff with like ideals and like not ideals like ideology, ideals like everything in Stormlight Archive, everything in the Cosmere has like a soul.
1: Yeah. I, I think um... that um I think that um like you can kind of tell in this story that some of the i guess science fictional concepts that are being played with here of like you know the idea that we're all living in a simulation man um i think you can kind of <laughs> tell that this is not the space that Brandon is usually playing in and that he may be he obviously like is aware of like big big name things that have gone before in this, right? But I bet you that if I asked Brandon, like, who are the people who have written before about someone going on a heroic quest to reclaim their birthright? I bet Brandon could tell you about some like pretty obscure writers who've done interesting things with that concept, because like, that's what he's about, right? Whereas I suspect that his engagement with the idea of everyone being brains in a jar and in a simulation is one that, like, I'm not trying to say it starts and ends with The Matrix, but it's very clear that, (laughs) it's very clear that he's not reading a ton of, like, very thoughtful science fiction about this. It's
0: specifically just The Matrix and Star Wars Galaxy of Fear the Nightmare Machine.
1: (laughs) And I also, okay, to to be fair, there's a lot of very shallow and thoughtless fiction about this idea, right?
0: if If we're gonna be real, like, I don't know wh- when was this published, right?
2: Twenty fifteen.
0: Twenty fifteen. Yeah. Is that is that Black Mirror years?
1: Oh, there's definitely some Black Mirror in this fucking story. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely. Okay, twenty
0: eleven. Just saying.
1: Oh yeah, no, I think you're right. I I mentioned um, before we started recording that I feel like there's maybe three or four different points that I could think this story is trying to make. And definitely one of the points I think is uh, that everyone bees on their phone too much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I think that's a stupid reading and I don't actually think that's one that like Brandon would support because Mm -hmm. that's the reading that kind of says like, this is a story all about people who are caught up in this fictional simulation and it's keeping them away from the real world and that's bad and like i'm pretty sure actually brandon thinks it's good when people get deeply invested in a fictional universe i think if he didn't think that was a good thing (laughs) he wouldn't do what he does Um, um
0: spoiler alert for the uh for the listeners here i actually have a document uh, telling me exactly what Brandon's interpretation of this story is. So we'll get to that uh, once we finish uh, get working our way through it. Uh, but I know the, I'm sitting on the answer here.
1: <laughs> God, I'm so excited for that. Um, uh, oh, I do want to mention something that uh, uh, this, this is mentioned briefly in the, um, in the summary, um, but I just want to bring it basically. Okay. I really like Melly and Frankly, that's Mm. just because I like, like, cackling pulp supervillains who are just (laughs) telling tough lantern-jawed heroes about how they're going to destroy them. Like, that's fun to me. That's that's my shit. Um, And so I love that Melly interrupts his date. Like, he's trying to talk to this Hillary Clinton lady, and uh, he's just getting, like... You know messages from his nemesis telling him like I'm going to hear your screams, and he's like, "Oh my god, not this shit again!"
0: Like <laughs> he he looks down next to the wine that he spilled, uh, and which he also I will need to mention it didn't come up in the uh, summary, but he keeps trying to use his magic powers that don't mm-hmm. work in this state. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, obviously, I'll just separate the pigment from the wine and then dry the liquid that remains, and thus removing the wine stain. It doesn't work because there's no magic here. And then he looks down next to the stain and there's letters on the tablecloth. And they say, in in all caps, I am coming, child. You will scream. It is for your own good. I must do this.
1: I love that Melly calls Kai child when Kai is Mm -hmm. 350 years old. But it's also (laughs) fucking true. Kai is a little child. Um, (laughs) It's just that, like you know, Melly in certain ways also is. And like the fact that he's sending supervillain messages to this guy is definitely part of how Melly is also childish, right? Um, It's very uh, like Kai acts as though Melly is purely just an annoyance, but I think it's very obvious that having an evil nemesis is something that on some level he enjoys, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: He he even like when he gets the first message in the first chapter on the wall he like wipes it off and like melts the wall and reforms it with his magic and and it's just like oh you melly melly
1: is just always sending like quote unquote threatening dms to kai and kai is always like it... <laughs>
0: oh it's that it's a picture like it's kai is the cat and melly is the knife
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah and like so i like i know that part of this is my interpretation because when i come to a story with a hero and a villain and their nemesises and they're always telling the villain's always telling the hero how i'm gonna get you but like never actually wins that is a narrative that i approach with a certain romantic and even sexual gloss and i i Mm -hmm. don't Think that when Brandon is writing that, like, I don't think Brandon thinks about the relationship between He-Man and Skeletor as having a fundamentally kind of sexual charge, which I do, because that's the kind of person I am, and that's the kind of person Brandon Sanderson is. Um, right. So, like, I don't want to imply that Sanderson is actually writing sexual tension between Meli and Pi, but he is writing like a fun interpersonal tension that, like, yeah, there's something, there's something to it. In a way that there isn't necessarily uh, between Kai and like Shale, right? Or even mm-hmm. Kai and Besk. Like, so Besk is like another machine-born character who seems to be Kai's like uh, chancellor. Basically, he's like a he's also the person who delivers the Wode's demands to Kai.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there's a sense that like there's a certain amount of opposition between them because Besk is always trying to get Kai to like do the work of statecraft. He doesn't really want to do that. He just wants to fuck around with his magic in his lab. <laughs> um, again, another reason why he's actually a 12 year old boy. Um, but uh, <laughs>
0: He's got to paint his Nerf guns.
1: <laughs> yeah. He wants to play with his chemistry set. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, Besk is someone who Kai has a certain amount of conflict with, but it's this deeply unequal conflict. Like Kai actually thinks about like, well, I could just reprogram Besk to make him less annoying. But then he would be a less effective chancellor and I, you know, he wouldn't do the things that I need him to do. So I won't do that. Whereas, Mm -hmm. like, Kai can't reprogram Meli, And so, like, Meli is a real challenge to Kai in a way that I don't think he recognizes yet at this point in the story. But, like, he needs that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does. Um, Yeah. And we've talked in previous episodes when looking at the Elantris and something that comes up just in conversation about Sanderson's works is I think that they are all um, pretty sexless is what I would say. Um, sure, sure. Uh, there is certainly chemistry between the characters who end up romantically involved but there's never any sort of sexual tension or anything like that in in basically any Of his other works, except by complete accident. (laughs) Um, There's a lot
1: of, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, like, I would say that there's a lot of sexual tension and not a lot of sex in Brandon Sanderson. Okay. Like, there's a, there's a lot of, um, like, even just on the level of the things he thinks he's putting in the story, there's certainly people flirting, right? Like, there's a, there's a very conscious... Sexual tension between like Sereni and and Rayden right? Where like oh they've been they've been texting each other for years and they both really like each other, but they can never meet. It's <laughs> I, I don't want to be too much of a. I believe that the fundamental sexual logic, to the extent that it's not always working, there's not. Not every Brandon Sanderson story is doing this because I do think you're right that the sexuality of Brandon Sanderson stories is not always super on that surface, but when it is on the surface and it is on the surface in this story, because I mean, this story is all about someone having to procreate being, being forced by his parents slash the government to procreate, which is a horny concept. Uh The sexual logic at work here is like one of like denial and, and chastity and fucking edging. Like, like, we are mm-hmm. always going to walk up to the the edge of a sex scene, but we're never actually going to see the characters do it. And we're going to think about all the things that they've said to each other, but they're never going to be an actual proximity to each other, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think that is like very at work in this scene or in in this story. Uh, I mean, there's no sex scene in this story, right? Like, this is right. the story is all about Kai going somewhere so that he can have sex, and he he doesn't do it. He doesn't seal the deal.
0: Um, We're about to get to about as close as we get in the next chapter, but
1: <laughs> well, uh, the next chapter is the Melly flashback. Um, oh, which uh, listen, if you want to talk about whether conquering a nation together is closer to sex than anything he actually does with <laughs> Sophie. I'm here for it, but
0: <laughs> Right, that's right. I forgot that we have the, the flashback. Um the other thing is that um they start walking up the stairs because Kai just like see gets this message from Ellie and just is like, Okay, we're gonna leave. Um They have a lot of comments in this chapter about uh Sophie's inner feminist. <laughs>
1: So, there's clearly a thing going on here where, like, in her younger years, Sophie obviously did a bunch of fighting for women's rights. And now she thinks that's kind of stupid because she's realized it was all artificial. But that means that she's now, like, kind of a post feminist who loves that she's wearing these heels that a feminist would hate. And she mm-hmm. kind of thinks it's hot for a guy to punch her and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh my God, Brandon. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> Like I know th- part of what's really upsetting about this is that Brandon must know both women who are I'm not saying he knows anyone who is actually a member of like the tradwife movement right because that's its own no specific thing but I'm sure he knows people who I'm sure he knows women who have an ethos of submission to their husband right because
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it would be frankly bizarre If he didn't know any women who have that worldview, like, right. And I'm sure also because of his like science fiction cultural context, right, because of like going to conventions and meeting people there and like being on science fiction and fantasy publishing online spaces. I'm sure he also knows women who are like, out and proud about being sexually submissive, but who aren't, but who also believe that they should be allowed to work outside the home, right?
2: Mm hmm.
1: And I, personally, as a feminist, but also as a trans person and a queer person, find both of those flavors of cishet woman to be immensely exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I don't care if your reason for talking in public about how great it is that your husband puts you in your place is because you actually believe that that is, like, correct, and, like, God has ordained that for you? Or if because, like, you think it's subversive and edgy, and, like, maybe even you think kink in public is, like, a queer thing. Um, I hate both of those people, and I would like them both to shut up.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I I am not in a position where um, anybody like that is anywhere near me, or uh that i have to uh think about the idea that somebody is like that but uh if i did have to i would also want them to shut up
1: yeah like i you know it's not as though either of these types of submissive cishet woman is a huge part of my life it's just i, I have a past as a cishet woman mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it 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 has come up in my life
0: Yeah, totally. Um, This scene. uh, Yeah, uh, she's um, she talks about her heels and says these are considered very fashionable and it enrages my inner feminist to no end to wear them alongside a dress like this. Uh, And he says, well, that's kind of weird. You're weird. She's like, yeah, it messes you up when you realize that a conservative establishment is forcing you to become a progressive liberal fighter for universal rights. I had to buck that, but I didn't know what to become instead. The only thing I could come up with, something truly difficult, was to become a complete anarchist. They built a perfect world for me, so I had to burn it down.
1: Now I have to say, okay, using the term anarchism to refer to this is stupid, because that's not what anarchism is. But I do honestly think this is the only rational reaction to, like... Yeah, You know, the point where, as a liveborn, you come of age at age 50, I guess. And I think it's probably not necessarily the same for every single person, but it was age 50 for Kai. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they tell you that you live in a simulation and that everything you've ever thought was a challenge you'd overcome was really just being spoon-fed to you. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I really do think that trying your best to actually get outside that system and to destroy it as much as you can, like... The idea that someone wouldn't react that way, the idea, in fact, that reacting that way would seem bizarre is very sad. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe realistic, like, I guess it's probably true that like, if most people were confronted with an understanding that their entire reality is a lie, that they wouldn't do the kind of morally necessary thing. I think that's maybe correct, but I don't think Brandon quite means it that cynically. Because I don't think he thinks that mm-hmm. what Sophia is doing is the only morally correct action here, in the way that I do.
0: Um, right, and I guess like traditional uh, uh, understandings of like ideologies become completely warped in this circumstance, right? Like, yes any given ideology would have to be changed immensely to apply to a world where you are, like, in a perfect, like, world ordained for you.
1: Yeah, Um, like, I honestly... I I guess I do think that in a certain sense, what Sophie is doing... I think that if you put someone who actually had an ideological commitment to anarchism into this context, um, they probably would just start wrecking shit, but that's not because anarchism is wrecking shit that's because i think that i think that any coherent leftist analysis of the situation would have to come to the conclusion that the woad are the state and are oppression and that therefore everything you can do to oppose the woad is correct yeah um there is the relevant question here of like machine-born personhood which it seems like kai recognizes it and sophie doesn't right like and part of Mm -hmm. sophie's rejection of everything that the woad does is saying machine-born people aren't real and and they're just fake. But I think even if you think that machine-born are people and that therefore, like, causing a pointless war within a state is a fucked-up thing to do, right? So even if you are taking it seriously to that extent, um, then the moral thing to do is to, like, raise the political consciousness of the machine-born, right? And, like, maybe... Try, to the extent that you possibly can, from within your position as the only person who matters in the world, try to be some kind of a vanguard to help them storm the woad. Like, I guess something like that could happen. The fact that, like, attempting to apply a leftist analysis to this, if you take the machine born seriously as people, kind of brings you back to, well, you have to listen to the woad and you have to take their world seriously, is part of why I want to reject the idea of machine born as fully human. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I do think that like, I do kind of think that if the machine born are fully human, then their lives and their existence are fundamentally unjust. Like on some level, there is no liberation for machine born because there is no liberation from concept
2: um, right,
1: like it doesn't seem like you could just delete someone's concept and still have their personality, right? But on the other um, hand, obviously a concept is a horrific, like a violation of um, autonomy on on a, an incredibly deep level.
2: Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Do you want to move on to chapter it's, four? It's
0: it, this this story keeps giving.
1: It really, really does. Okay, so chapter four is uh, a flashback to how Kai and Melly met um, and how they, like, became nemeses, kind of. Um, and it's framed as, like, he's, he's telling this story to Sophie, like, on the stairwell as they climbed to the top of the building. Um, Kai begins the tale of how he met Melly 30 years ago. It was in a border state, which at the time Kai had very little experience with. He brought a full legion with him, 50,000 men, because he didn't know what to expect. Kai soon finds out that two other liveborn have access to the border state as well. He also learns that the state has two very valuable resources, a spice that turns those who consume it into great warriors, and a metal that can cut through steel. Kai has thoughts about how it seems too convenient that he discovers such a border state only after having conquered his own state. When they come across... Sorry, the wiki puts it this way, the natives... Um, the entire portrayal of this border state is deeply racist. Um, uh
2: huh.
1: Kai learns that the other Liveborn and he are to compete for the loyalty and resources of the border state. A concept that excites Kai because he's never defeated another Liveborn before. Kai agrees to meet with the other Liveborn, who would turn out to be Meli, and is led into the natives' village.
0: <sighs> this one is kind of uh, shorter than the yeah. others. There's a lot of. You know, Kai's internal thoughts as he's approaching with all his dudes and pointing out things about how that works. And it's like, oh, well, you know, all of our all of our flying chariots look the same from underneath. So nobody knows which one I'm in. Um, And I've got I got all my guys. And also, uh, if you go too far in one direction in this place, you wrap around to the other side. So I could move my troops real fast from one side to the other. Uh, by scrolling the map
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is basically like like baby's first conquest, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I'm honestly a little surprised, i mean he you know he does think about how it's convenient, but I'm honestly a little surprised that Kai doesn't find it insulting because you would assume on some level that he's faced more challenging fucking quests
2: uh uh,
1: back in his home state right like it 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 seems very clear that a lot of what's happening with this border state is that it is set up to be your first ever border state to introduce you to the concept of border states um and i'm surprised that kai doesn't have a little bit of like a mlg attitude about it (laughs) given that
0: i'm the thing that i was I noticed, is like, oh, there's all this fog here. That's weird. I wanted him to be like, oh, as we approach, the fog changes, and now we can see where the fog had been. But when we leave, the fog comes back. Hmm. What implications will this fog have on war? (laughs) Yeah. I I was hoping they would just put fog of war in his fucking world. Um,
1: Yeah, it's... They're also, like... There's a very clear, like, discussion between Kai and Shale and Besk about, like, the ways in which this superpower spice and also this super hard metal could be useful for them. Because they'd like to conquer this. They'd like to conquer these natives and extract their resources. Like, it's so straightforward. (sighs)
2: So
0: the spice also turns them purple.
1: Yeah, the yeah, it's specified that the the people who appear to be of a of a higher social rank in this world are have a darker purple tinge to their skin tone, presumably because they've been consuming more of the superpower spice. Um, Brandon really likes unusual skin colors, doesn't mm-hmm. he?
0: That's that's an interesting.
1: Like he just loves to give characters a skin color that defines who they are as an ethnicity, but that isn't a real world skin color. So I guess you can't get mad at him.
0: <laughs> yep. He sure does do that. He does he plays with things like that a lot. Um
1: that's that's, you know, that sucks. That that just sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little frustrating because I do actually, like, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with making up fictional ethnicities and giving them, like, fictional, um, you know, f- making up fictional things that are ethnic markers, right? But, like, uh, when you do that with a set of people who are consistently portrayed as being natives and described as wielding spears and who literally exist to be conquered by your hero. It's just gross.
2: Yep.
0: Um, and nobody did like he, Brandon didn't do this, but I can definitely picture people talking about this uh, and saying, well, you know, it was fiction. So it's not real. It's not like a... It's fiction within fiction. So... Oh, so it's it's, the
1: Wode's fault that this is all incredibly racist. Right. It's
0: just that the Wode is being racist. Not Brandon. You see, it was
2: in-universe.
1: That's stupid. I mean, the the thing about that that's always really stupid, right? Is that it's like, okay, but you still wrote a story Uh about... Like a like a uh, uh, I mean okay we don't hear about Kai's skin tone so I don't know that we can necessarily assume Kai is white except that Kai is like fucking like Dovahkiin like Kai yeah. is every hero from every shitty epic fantasy thing and so like of course he's fucking white because that's a white ass genre like
0: yeah um, I think we we can we can infer some details from like the way his hair is described
1: yeah you know,
2: um well, and I guess it- what
1: I'm also saying is I don't think if you put the it, like I don't think that if Brandon had written that Kai was dark skinned and had like kinky hair, I don't think that gets Brandon off the hook for writing a story where no. someone who is like obviously a savior figure is given the choice of whether or not to colonize some people, and also mm-hmm. like I think that's maybe worth mentioning it's pretty like. Okay, actually this is skipping ahead. Sorry. Um I'm thinking about the other flashback chapter. We'll get to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh does do the concepts come up in in this chapter? The concept of the the character that he means? Yes.
1: He does think about the concept of the like the the leader of uh the, you know, the people of this border state and like how it's clear that her sort of like her pragmatism is something that is part of her concept and like is part of what makes her like, an appealing target to conquer, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh... Yeah.
0: Like I said, this story keeps giving.
1: <laughs> yeah. And again, it just keeps calling them natives. Like, Jesus Christ.
0: <sighs> um, so, yeah, this is on the borders of two other states. And he's going to go meet with the other liveborn mm-hmm. in the village. Um, but then we get to chapter five because um, they get interrupted in telling the story.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Kai and Sophie reach the top of the stairwell, Kai pausing in his story. Kai had been hoping to take Sophie to the roof, but the door is locked shut. Sophie gets the door open by shooting the lock, revealing that she is a good hacker, as she got her gun to fire bullets and not paint pellets. Thank you, wiki editors. On the roof, the two delve back into their deep discussion from before, but Kai decides he'd rather get back to Alornia as soon as possible. Sophie tries to oblige, but the two are interrupted by a giant robot entering Maltese, obviously sent by Melly. Kai rushes off to stop the robot, Sophie somewhat reluctantly following behind. Kai decides to tell the rest of his story on their way down the stairwell. So the stairwell is just exposition stairwell.
2: Yeah, it's it really
0: screen. It's
1: It's, yeah, it absolutely is a loading screen. <laughs> They're just playing Kai's backstory for you. Um. Yeah.
0: So, the wiki glosses over several details here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, sure does.
0: The part where it says, Kai decides he'd rather get back to Lorna as soon as possible, and Sophie tries to oblige, but the two are interrupted. That's them taking off all their clothes on top of the building in the rain.
1: Yeah, so what I said the fundamental logic of this story is, like, denial. Like, we literally get almost to the point of them, like, fucking on a rooftop in the rain, and her fucking zipper gets caught and we don't get to see it, and, I, like... I'm not saying every story that leads up to a sex scene and then doesn't go there is like doing something fundamentally kinky, but like, it's just extreme. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of description of, of what she looks like in like partially undressed.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And also she, um, she's getting more excited because um, she sees him as misogynist and i think she says brutish
1: yeah so that's kind of what i was talking about when i was like she makes me think of like an annoying cishet woman who's really public about being submissive
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: like she is clearly turned on by the idea that this guy is the kind of like regressive misogynist that she spent her early years fighting against and that she now kind of thinks doesn't matter because like, I guess misogyny isn't real. Cause nothing's real. Um,
0: right. Um, because the people aren't real. So if she like, how can oppression be real? If all of the people being oppressed are not people.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, maybe she I mean it's not necessarily that that type of oppression is fake in her head it's just it's fake for her because she's like oh well they did all this in the real world ages ago I'm just retreading the past which does play into what we were saying before about just being stu- stuck in recursion of like I'm going to make a new fantasy world that's just mm-hmm. the same fantasy world um, of like all we can do is tell our own story over and over again and um,
1: Oh, I'm losing my fucking mind. I just found a line that... So this was already a line that made me raise my eyebrows a lot when I read it the first time, but now that I know the ending of the story, it's really destroying me emotionally. Uh, This is... The whole thing is in Kai's first-person perspective. Uh, They are being threatened by the giant robot. I found the sight of her wet in the rain and the death machine in the other direction, strangely appealing in a similar sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) we can come back to that I really want to come back to that at the end of the podcast when we get to the big ending twist because Uh good lord (laughs) um but so even though without the thing that I know about what the death machine is and what Sophie is um It's also very, very funny that, like, yeah, again, like, he's just a 12-year-old boy. He's looking at a Gundam, and he's looking at a hot, wet, naked girl, and he's like, wow, I feel appealed to directly by both of these things. (laughs) Is for me? (laughs) It is! It is for
2: you, Kai! (laughs) All of it is for you! (laughs)
0: Um... At this point, he also starts to realize that his, uh... Codec calls. He's like been sending mental messages back to Besk and uh, Shale, um, and he's getting silence, which happened in the last like two chapters ago. But um, we didn't notice it because it's like, oh, Besk managed to stop himself from saying something snarky about what had just happened. Uh, mm-hmm. But now he's starting to realize that no, I'm not. I'm not getting anything from these fuckers.
1: Yeah, it. it and 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 he realizes. Um and it we haven't really emphasized this cuz the the book kind of like just seeds it a little bit and doesn't make it super clear but but like in the first chapter when like Melly is like making words appear on the wall that's explicitly framed as oh this is hacking he's like hacking the wode system somehow um and so it's it's based on that knowledge of like what Melly's skills are that he's kind of like oh shit obviously Melly did this and cut me off for my advisors Mhm Um I do think it's very funny that like being able to do stuff with like technology within your world is presented as like directly relevant to being able to hack the actual computer system that they are all living in
2: uh-huh um, i don't like, really know how that works
1: yeah there's no fucking reason if i were the woad i would simply make computers work totally differently in every single world because you can make the laws of physics run differently right like there is no reason to have uh similar principles apply Uh, It seems like a basic safety precaution. (laughs) Like, I don't think you want people to be able to learn how to hack your real computers by hacking fake computers in Uh their simulations. (laughs) Um, And, like, you could maybe make some kind of argument about, like, oh, it's not literally that they use the same programming language or even the same physics. It's just that Melly has the kind of mind that allows him to learn those things, and he's learned hacking the, the WODE system via, like, more illicit means. But if that's the case... Like, Kai is also inquisitive and scientific. He's applying that kind of thought to Lansing, his magic system. So like it doesn't there is an obvious like logic here of like if you're from a world that already has computers, you will be better able to hack. Um and I think that's very stupid.
0: <laughs> um and then we get Some more, um, I don't know what I would call, I guess I would call this sort of naughty dog banter um, (laughs) where she's like, so where you come from is climbing steps considered a romantic date. And he says, the roof is someplace we're not supposed to be. Um, I figured you'd like that. (laughs) Which she does shoot down with, um, we can't go places we're not supposed to be. Because, you know, every inch of every world is specifically designed for us.
1: It does seem like... I mean, it's very clear on some level that the thing that Sophie really wants, right, which is to actually say, like, fuck you to the woad. She can't really have that. She hasn't figured out how to get outside the jar. So... Little things like, oh, we went up on the roof. We like clipped through the background, and now we're in a part of the video game where we're quote unquote not supposed to be. Like, it seems like she kind of has to take her fun where she can get it in that regard, but she's mm-hmm. also aware that it's it's not really it's not really the rebellion she wants, you know? Um, yeah,
0: um, it's Re- rebellion play.
1: Yeah, no, it it's is like, like play,
0: it's like playing at being able to break rules.
1: Absolutely, it is, and and like um, you know, I I don't I don't think it's a, a a coincidence that like the closest they get to fucking is on this roof, you know. Um, yeah. Like I I think that even though she dismisses it, I think this walking up to the roof thing did kind of work on her. Yeah. And it also definitely um, works on him. Like, I think that he is <laughs> the, the vibe here, I guess, is like, Sophie is like experienced at rebellion play. And she's like suggested the concept to Kai and Kai is like, oh, all right, I think I kind of get that. And he's like trying it out for the first time. And she's like, OK, well, it's a clumsy attempt, but I, I see that you follow the logic of this kink. This is fun. Um, and he's just kind of like, oh, my God. I didn't know that you could do this. Like, this is giving me feelings I've never had before.
2: (laughs) But it's all, it really is about clipping through the background is the thing. Yeah. And we're back. We are. We Uh, had to take a break for a sec. Yeah. Um,
0: We were talking about...
1: I, I think I, I said a bunch of stuff about like um how like hacking is presented and how yes. it's implied that if you can hack computers within your state that this somehow also makes you able to hack like the system that the wode is running all the states on, and that is silly to me um, uh, as far as like bits in this chapter that kind of like tell you a little bit about the Woad and how their whole system works, I also think some of the details about how their like reproductive thing works mm-hmm. are very funny. Cause like we mentioned, this is the chapter where they get the closest to actually fucking. And like, they don't have to have sex in order to have a baby because they're just brains in jars. The way that the woad is making their child is by like taking DNA samples from them and, you know, presumably combining them in a vat or some shit. Um, but uh but, you know, the Wode insists that people have to meet up and, and quote-unquote actually have sex, um, which is
2: fascinating. Why? Really why?
0: interesting. Uh... I, mean,
1: I have thoughts about why I think they might do that, but but I think we have to get to the end of the story before I can, like, really voice uh-huh. this. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to point out is that, um, you know, uh, Sophie is like, well, okay, let's just have sex on this roof. Um, and she, sort of joking about the idea, she says, I'll let you pick the kid's initial trope. I'd probably end up choosing something downright horrible for them, just to be interesting. And so that tells me that those fetal personalities that we were talking about earlier are not, like, natural, right? It's not just, Mm. like, the natural tendency that a fetus has. They are given to them by, I guess, their biological parents? Like, the woad lets them pick that kind of thing? Um... Also, apparently, if Sophie had picked something horrible, they would have let her do that, which is absurd. Like, I'm imagining Sophie just being like, yeah, I want you to load my kid down with just, like, as many fucking complexes as you can. Like, make their perfect state just, like, destroy them emotionally. And the woad is like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. For your child. Oh,
0: I- Okay, there's one other alternative here. What? Which is trope, like... St- like their narrative, like their state
1: right. but but even in that context, she's suggesting that she could theoretically speaking choose something bad
0: compared or, to other or things. something that she thinks is bad. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, but regardless of how you want to like nitpick the words and try to find a better meaning of them, but like uh, yeah, it is wild. And who knows? Maybe they say, oh, yeah, sure, we'll fuck your kid up. We'll name your kid Ass balls uh or whatever. Uh and then they just don't. But like convenient for sure. Um it is it is wild.
1: There's there are so many questions to ask about why the woad does human reproduction in this way. Like, because they clearly extremely don't have to. Um like why is it only heterosexual if you're just taking some genes and mingling them and they're not even taking like it's not like they're take it, it's not like they're taking a sperm and an egg because these people are just brains so they're obviously doing something to convert those the DNA that they've received into uh, gametes or something so like why is it exclusively heterosexual and it is presented that way kai's only options were women um, and maybe uh, kai is just straight but <laughs>
0: Okay, let me hit you with another alternative that may- might be worse. Uh-huh. It doesn't say that they get rid of the body.
1: But they they are making... So are you suggesting... <laughs> when they Okay, are you suggesting that they took fetus Kai from, like, an artificial womb, right? They're not mm-hmm. probably, I think, growing them in actual human bodies, although maybe they are, Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, they, they, they take fetus Kai... They remove his brain and put that in the jar, and that's going to become Kai in the future. But the developing fetus body, they then grow that without a brain to the point where it can produce sperm. Is that what you're suggesting?
0: I'm suggesting that it is a possibility that there is also a body in a jar. Yes.
1: Oh my God. I mean, like, how much more
0: resources would that take?
1: it's not fundamentally more monstrous than what they're already doing. And it's not fundamentally more stupid, but it does somehow make the gears of my brain just grind. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so, so cishet. Like, I know we say this about Brandon all the time, but just like, none of these people have physical sex except in this digital realm. And like, yet their biological sex is still very important.
0: It's like reality can be anything in these states, uh-huh. but it can only be anything that another human person imagines to put in there.
1: Uh huh. And, and the human people since, who are imagining it are awful yeah. at this.
0: So the people experiencing it aren't allowed to change it according to their perception and their like mental like activity or whatever. Right. Like it is just a, a level that you're plopped into built by someone else based on what they think your brain is naturally tuned into. Um, but like, there's no capacity for a person in the state to like, begin to alter it into a new and unforeseen mode of being.
1: You can't turn a fantasy state into a, uh, was it? Emerging equality state. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Those are two fundamentally different forms of existence.
0: Well, you know, history exists in cells along a line and there's one cell that is the feudalism chunk of history. And then there was like a time when we all transitioned out of that and into Uh, what is
2: capitalism? I guess
0: I guess capitalism. It's just industrial revolution, which is like six years, and then (laughs) and which is its own cell. You know, uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like a like a like a film, right? Um, and then the next one is capitalism. Um, and which has its own subset of like, hmm, are there uh huh. Are there states that are plantations?
1: Obviously, yes. Obviously, there are some fucking racist fetuses out there. Or, like, the Woad just scanned them and were like, damn, what this person really wants to do is just, like, be a fucking planter class. Well, I guess we'll give that to them. Because, like, I mean, that's not fundamentally more evil than what they've given Kai, right? Like, hell, there could be Kai. There could be slaves in Kai's state. Like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But, like, absolutely, there's somebody out there whose state is not just monstrous and futile, but, like, specifically takes the monstrous, feudal form of, like, something incredibly racist. Like, there's no way that hasn't happened. The Woe would have no regard for things like that, so obviously they would do it.
0: Because it's purely based on making the individual happy, not applied to any sort of uh, sense of ethics that the people on the outside have or any political perspective that the people on the outside have
1: and it's 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 making the individual happy but it's also making the individual into one who can be made happy by this right and so so like you could say like i said there's some racist fetus out there right and that's a stupid concept but like it's not <laughs> it's a any wonderful way.
0: phrase to say
1: it's not any more stupid than the concept of, like, there's a Dovahkiin fetus, which is what we're meant to believe is the case with Kai. Yeah,
0: he was just naturally uh, king-like, and he was, just would be a good king. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah. I uh, Here's the thing. This leaves a lot of holes and leaves a lot of questions. I'm so glad that Brandon is not willing to spend 1,200 pages exploring all those questions?
1: I do think, though, that it's kind of irresponsible of him to mm. propose this kind of thing without thinking about these very obvious questions. Like, the the thing of, like, huh, we've recreated, like, a regressive past society to serve as a playground for someone. Like, that is explicitly what's happening with Kai. That is how Sophie views Kai, and, like, even how she views herself. And the very obvious racial dynamics of that are just not touched on at all. like mm-hmm. he is he is being willfully dense about race here, I think. Um, do you wanna
0: yeah, let's let's uh, chapter six chapter six. it's 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 your turn because we are yeah. back in. Uh, flashback zone Because we go back down the stairway We have to walk and talk And have the oh, oh dialogue my. cover the, loads, the load times
1: That's right uh, So This is, this is the, the next half of um, Kai's initial meeting With uh, Meli. As Kai is being led through the village A large man made of steel comes from one of the huts The man reveals that he is a Aliveborn like Kai And that he'll have an easy victory As Kai is from a fantasy state Kai doesn't bother listening to the taunting however and turns to leave he doesn't like the sheer convenience of the situation a place to fight that doesn't put his state in danger the fighting location having ideal tactical positions for kai personally and the fact that there are three liveborn involved to occur- encourage alliances kai feels like a puppet and accuses the other liveborn melly of being one too he then leaves the border state um so you know much like the other flashback chapter there is a lot of this that is like you know, th- this is basically like the chapters where he's talking to Sophie have a bunch of like discussion of the themes of this stuff, and the chapters where he's flashing back to Melly are just kind of showing the themes happening. Um, uh, I-, I-, I think it's notable that, like, based on this encounter and and sort of like the general way that Kai interacts with Melly, I think Kai has probably never seen Melly's face. Yeah. Um, Like, Melly appears in a sort of robot exosuit form of some kind. It's not really clear, like, whether this is actually, like, somehow Melly is, I mean, Melly's not physically here because physical, but, like, it's not clear whether Melly's digital body is inside this metal shell, or if it's just, like, a drone that Melly sent, right? Yeah, like a Slade bot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Um but it does I mean it speaks with Melly's voice right um so I I think the what I kind of assumed when I was reading this passage is that probably this is like a I mean I was imagining Melly as uh having like what do you call it like being from a kind of cyberpunky setting where you might have lots of different metal bodies right um Mhm Uh and, and also, um, Kai refers to the, the, the robotic entity he meets as, um, as a robotic shell, um, which to me suggests that, like, Melly is in it somehow, but also that's not all that Melly is.
2: hmm Um.
0: Which, yeah, that's interesting to think about. Um. Uh, avatars within avatars.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah, um, it, you know, um, we, we, you were talking about how, like, on a, on a symbolic level, it's impossible to be trans here because your world that you exist in has been, like, designed for you and who you are from the moment of your conception, so, like, the idea of shifting your sense of self kind of implies, like, shifting the entire world in which you live, and that's not portrayed as possible. Um, but but I also think it's interesting that, like, the concept of changing the body that you live in mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that is only available to some people, right? So, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: obviously, it's going to be easily available to someone who's, like, the rules of their world involve shape-shifting, right? Um or the rules of their world involve like mind upload and, and creating new robot bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not necessarily going to be as easily available to someone whose world like doesn't function that way. Um, And like, I, I feel like the, the boring liberal version of this, where you're trying to preserve the idea that these really are utopias, it would be like, Oh, well, if you were going to grow up to be trans, then you would be placed in a world where shape shifting was possible. Um, but, like that's based on the idea that you actually can predict a person's entire future life history from when they're a fetus, which is stupid
0: a combination of their developing personality and traits that were implanted on purpose
1: yes, yes, like yeah,
0: like do they do the do people the liveborn have gender reveal parties except that it's revealing what they decided the kid would be instead of finding out (laughs) what the kid is
1: yeah and they do actually destroy entire worlds for it but it's not a problem (laughs)
0: it's it's fine there's a border state for that oh my god um
1: somebody um never mind (laughs) sorry (laughs) just unrelated Yeah, so that's, that's chapter six. It's pretty short. Um, it basically is just a nice little opportunity for Kai to like start to realize that his entire existence has been designed by him by his parents slash the state, and then fail to think about it for the next 30 years.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, the next one has a lot more description, but that's because it has an action scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Finishing his story of how he met Melly, Sophie tries to convince Kai not to fight the robot, telling him that Maltese is a world with some future technology, so Maltese's robot will work, while Kai's fantasy magic won't. Kai explains that he has to fight the robot because he needs to know if all his accomplishments were because of the woad or because of his personal skill. Kai tries to convince Sophie to stay at a safe distance, but she refuses and instead offers her hacking skills. Kai asks if Sophie can hack Maltese so his magic would work, and she agrees to try, though she's skeptical. They plan to move past the robot and reach its original entry point for Sof- Sophie to begin hacking. They get in a car and speed their way there. Sophie hacks Kai's gun to reload it and make it fire bullets, which he uses to get the robot's attention. Reaching their destination, Sophie quickly hacks to make a lancing function, although she can't promise it'll work the same way Kai's used to. Kai quickly moves Sophie to safety before t- taking on the robot. This is because for some reason Sophie passes out after doing the hacking.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, and they are in a car crash to be
1: fair but oh
0: that's true she does intentionally crash the car for fun
1: um but but it doesn't affect kai at all so
0: um he well you know he's enchanted he's got the draught of immortality he's got physical boost he's got he's got fear he's got the um the slow-mo button from fear uh, as Sophie suspected, Lansing does not work the way Kai is used to. Now it allows, allows him to draw heat, specifically, rather than energy, from the cosmic aurora above his magic kingdom. Uh, in addition, Kai is unable to do anything with the heat he absorbs. It just dissipates before he can use it. Kai takes a few moments to experiment and realizes that the use of hacks of things that don't belong in the state naturally causes the storm to grow in intensity. This, combined with his ability to absorb heat, allows him to defeat the robot. By, def- by <laughs> this is this is the Brandon coming out uh, by absorbing heat, Kai can make it rain harder, soaking the robot. He can then absorb large amounts of heat from the rain water to freeze it inside the robot, thus expanding it to tear the robot apart. Uh, very interesting little little physics problem there.
1: Um, It is extremely like this moment where it's like, aha, you see, we've hacked the magic so that it works a little differently than it normally does. But you might be able to use this like lossy, shitty magic in a fun and interesting way. That's just like, yeah, that's pure. That is Sandersonian in the extreme.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And I am going to put a little thing at the front of this episode as like a content warning Mm -hmm. uh, for the twist of this story. Mm-hmm. Which is that after he's defeated um, the robot, he looks to Sophie only to see her shoot herself. And yeah. when he goes over to check on her, she, he finds writing on the ground explaining that Sophie was a perfect robot and Melly breaking Kai's heart was payment for whatever had caused Melly to dislike Kai in the first place. Oh. Because Brandon loves to kill wives.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So so. Let's talk about that moment, um. When, uh, like, so Sophie is just Melly, right? Yes. Melly can make robot shells that are Melly, and Melly is obsessed with Kai.
2: Mm-hmm. Melly
1: made a hot girl to seduce the straight guy that Melly is in love with because that straight guy cannot be attracted to Melly in Melly's like "quote unquote real body." Mhm. I'm dying. I'm going to explode. I Brandon wrote a story that is about a trans person who has to pretend to be a cishet woman in order to seduce the cishet man that that trans person is in love with. Uh-huh. I, I, I realize that that's not what he thought he wrote, but that's mm-hmm. just the text of the story to me.
0: <sighs> it's specifically out of spite to uh, to hurt him because she there's a grudge happening because uh, Kai told Melly that he wasn't going to be a puppet. And Melly's, Melly or the Mellie robot, whatever that thing was that, that was in the scene. Uh, Kai doesn't actually know and has never really thought too hard about it. But it just says, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a puppet. I'll show you. I'm no puppet.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that, like... Okay, let's think about what, because Sophie has this whole ideology, this whole, like, anti-woad ideology, right? And it's, there's a lot of elements of it that maybe are not fully thought through. But I think that that's what Melly believes, right? Like, I think 30 years ago, Kai told Melly you're a puppet, and Melly has been thinking about it for 30 years, and Kai hasn't. <laughs> like... I'm not saying that Melly's way of expressing rebellion against the woad makes total sense because it's all focused on Kai and Kai is a fucking dead end. But like, sometimes that's what happens when you're a queer person in love with a straight person. Sometimes you assume that they know things that they don't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like, I think that, um, you know, like... It, we we the way we framed this um made it sound as though melly being like oh i'm not a puppet in this scene was um after uh she got after Sophie was killed but it's it's not what happens is like the 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 giant robot is like ranting in melly's voice oh, yes, those... and kai is kicking its ass with his yeah. cool new magic powers
0: so the robot says that in this chapter and in the previous chapter, uh, in the village, yeah, uh, says, "Oh, I'm not a puppet." And like in this one, we only get snippets of what the giant robot is saying.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's with a bunch of ellipses in here. It says, "Part of me that rebels against will go forward, not their puppet," which I think is meant to be something that you can read in this moment as just kind of like a supervillain rant, but yeah. I actually think that is the the core of. Melly, like, I think that you know, um, I think that matters,
2: yeah.
0: Um, so the action scene stuff I don't think is all that interesting, or, or, um, in terms of like picking it apart, uh, yeah, Brandon definitely had this idea of like you using an imperfect form of magic in a way that would end up letting you. Uh, win this kind of fight. Uh, it's neat. Uh, I didn't really understand what was happening at first because I think that it w- it went on too long, but um,
1: it was fun. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a fun thing. Like if you enjoy thinking about magic systems and how they would interact with like physics, and if you don't enjoy that, maybe Brandon is <laughs> you. Oh, if you enjoy that, it's it's a fun version of that. But but it uh-huh. also is probably not the best version of that that Brandon Sanderson has ever no, written, no. right?
0: I don't think so. Um, I, I think that uh, Brandon of today would be much clearer and more succinct with it.
1: Um, yeah, and it's also just like Lansing as a magic system is just not as interesting and cool as a lot of his other ones because he just made it up for a novella, right?
0: Yeah, um, and it doesn't have like hard rules that we know of other than it has a power source. Yeah. Um, it seems to just be able to do anything
1: yeah god um i oh i also want to emphasize uh the actual like moment of the reveal when quote unquote sophie quote unquote kills herself um because immediately before that like oh finished beating the robot and he feels alive for the first time because he's beaten a challenge that wasn't made for him by his dad the state um and he's just looking at sophie and thinking like oh wow she's a real person, unlike everyone else I've ever interacted with, like, maybe there is something here. This is really sexy. And then she kills herself. (laughs) Uh
2: And she's not a real
1: person, except she is a real person. Like, that's the thing that is like, that really makes me think that Sophie is Melly on some level is that like, Kai's having this feeling of like real connection for the first time in his life and and I think you could certainly look at that and say like that's because Melly is knows Kai so well and is so good at like producing his like ideal sort of challenging partner right, and like you could say, yeah, Sophie was always just as programmed as any uh machine born um but i I prefer to think of that as like is very good at playing that role, I guess. Um,
0: mm-hmm. um, we have a, one last chapter, and it's the shortest chapter.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Kai is back in Olornia discussing the situation with Basque. Uh, he mourns the loss of Sophie, as he had viewed a deep connection with another liveborn to be a new beginning in his life. He reaches out to the Wode, asking for information about the ten liveborn nearest him and the states they reside in. The woad respond by apologizing for the situation in Maltese, explaining that Meli will be punished for her actions, and that Kai is no longer required to procreate. Kai asks for the information again, this time, the Wode giving it to him. The novella ends with Kai determined to end his isolation.:
0: This is the first time that Meli has been referred to with, with she/ her pronouns.:
1: That's um, correct. This is part of why I feel so confident saying that Meli is a trans person.
0: Um, yeah, totally.
1: Because like it's not just oh Melly played a female robot, but like the Wode who are like the ultimate arbiters of truth here are are calling Melly she, um, and there's even I think I think you could reasonably read this like I I think this is a a stupid read that's missing what what's actually happening here, but you could say oh no Melly just was a a cis woman the whole time and Kai assumed she was a man. Because of, like, her robot appearance? It, like, somehow was it, it was masculine to him?
0: I think that's what Brandon thought he was
1: writing. That's so stupid! has <laughs> never seen a robot before in his life! He shouldn't have the stupid presumption that we have that, like, when you see something with a faceless metal plate for a face <laughs> that it's male. Like, people in the real world world assume that, but it's because of stupid... Me- Sorry. People who have unmarked masks as faces are something that I've got feelings about. And so the idea that Brandon was just like, oh, yeah, that's unequivocally masculine. There's nothing complicated about that. In fact, it'd be sort of funny if uh, Kai mistakenly assumed that someone with a featureless helmet was male. Because that's totally (laughs) reasonable. Instead of that being something that reveals something about what a helmet communicates.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Um... This we'll we'll come back to this when we read Brandon's notes on what the story is in his eyes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I I am not even sure that I have anything to say about Chapter Eight. I maybe just want to skip to these these mm-hmm. post post credit sequences. I guess.
0: Yeah. So we have two things here, both from BrandonSanderson.com, your one-stop shop for Brandonian content. Uh, first of all, we have a deleted scene. From perfect uh-huh. state, which would, would have been after chapter 8.
1: Yeah, so I'm I am checking it out. This scene is it's from Melly's perspective.
2: Yes.
0: I've <sighs> sent you this link, and you're going to read it right now on the podcast.
2: That's right.
1: Uh-huh. She's at a conference with a bunch of other live board. Oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, I mean, I see why oh god someone calls her sophie she's been she's been meeting with other people under the guise of sophie and she's come out to them as actually being melly i guess oh jesus yeah you know it actually makes a ton of sense that sophie would be the persona she would use to like do political maneuvering mm-hmm. this is like a a uh Disgusting little supervillain freak who was like, "All right, I need to go negotiate with some people. I need to make someone who they will take seriously. I will create a Hillary Clinton."
2: Um, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. That's I,
1: sexy. I. Yes, yes, that's right. I will. I will create a like hot fantasy Hillary Clinton.
0: Do you think Brandon um, thinks Hillary Clinton is sexy?
1: I don't think that Brandon would ever state that he finds anything that isn't his wife sexy. That's fair. Um, now, like, when we get to the topic of, like, what do I think Brandon has deep in his brain that isn't, like, public statements he would make, that's its own kettle of fish, but I. Uh.
0: This is so much.
1: Okay. So she's, like, she's doing shit. She's doing anti woad action, which, I mean, I, I, I support that. Um,. Everyone has everyone has prejudice against fantasy states and thinks that they're so they're straightforward but genuine. What does that mean? No. <laughs> oh, I'm so upset about that. <sighs> All right. So it ends with Melly being like, "Yeah, let's try to get out of this machine," which is pretty much what I've thought this whole time that Melly was trying to do. That like her entire deal is that she is trying to rebel against the woad, and like um that's why she's interested in hacking, and that's why she like I, I I honestly looked at this entire romance as like on some level something Melly is trying to do to wake Kai up, right? Yeah, like, and it
0: literally says here she'd spent years trying to wake up or destroy nearby staters.
1: Yeah, so like Kai might not be her only project, although she does seem to be kind of specifically obsessed with him. Um, and now I'm going to read why he cut the deleted scene.
0: So I want to just want to read um, the beginning of this article, which is this story began with the idea of taking some common tropes in science fiction, the brain in a jar, the matrix like virtual existence and trying to flip them upside down. In every story I've seen with these tropes, they've presented as terrible signs of a dystopian existence. I asked myself,
2: what if people? Brandon!
0: What if people? What if putting people into a virtual existence turned out to be the right thing instead? What if this weren't a dystopia, but a valid and workable system with huge benefits for mankind?
2: Brandon, <laughs> oh my god! He
0: so, just... he, so he, yeah, he thinks. What if it was good, though? That's what he was writing.
1: Literally. Okay, so I talked before about the idea that I thought there were at least three or four different ways to read the ending of this story. The Different ways I think you could think about the story are like, in my brain, I was like, well, obviously, you could just think that it's somehow a good thing that these people are brains in jars being administered by the parent state. But obviously, that's disgusting. And no one would think that that makes any sense for longer than about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But no, that's what Brandon thinks his story is about.
0: Uh, But then we have, um, this is the first reason why I cut the deleted scene. It shifted the focus too much toward let's escape the Matrix instead of the theme of technology doing great things at the price of distancing us from human interaction. So So. it is
1: about how we're on our phones too much. It
2: is.
1: Oh my god, Brandon! If the state manufactures your phones and forces you to always be on them, it's not (laughs) the same thing as just like people not like calling their loved ones as often as they should. I
2: ah! Ah. One of the
0: one of my thematic goals for the story was to reinforce how the fakeness in Kai's and Sophie's lives undermines the very things they've built their personalities on. For Kai, this is heroism. Uh Yeah, which, it's Yeah.
2: <sighs> yeah, I just
0: if if heroism felt real to him, does it matter if he was never in danger. I'm not sure, but I found it one of the more intriguing elements of the story to contemplate.
1: His heroism is fake. It's so fake. Like the, it's so strange to me that um. He doesn't find Sophie's argument fundamentally compelling. Like he looks at it as like he looks at the things that he has Sophie say here as like boy, sure is interesting. Makes you think rather than like obviously correct and the relevant question is what is she doing with this understanding and like i can see why he didn't want to have a scene where the thing she's doing with the understanding is the obvious thing to do which is to say like start a fucking movement because like then it's too obvious that she's right and he doesn't get to have his fun little thought experiment where all sides are Mm -hmm. kind of right but like
2: oh my god
0: um I like that the deleted scene helps raise the stakes for the questions. However, there's a more important reason I felt I needed to cut it. And that has to do with a problem I've noticed with my writing sometimes. The desire to have awesome twists just because they're unexpected. You still had one of those in the book, in the one that you finished, in the story that we read. You still have one of those. You did that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, But it also does make a certain amount of sense to me because it's like in my brain. I'm like, Brandon, why would you write this scene? if your whole story was not about how Melly slash Sophie is doing the right thing. And the answer is if you literally just thought up, thought it up as a cool extra twist, that is why you would write that scene. If you didn't <laughs> understand that. it was
2: correct. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um,
1: if- I, I do want to mention, um, I do think that if you believe that like, if you, if you believe that machine born are real people, then I don't think that Sophie is like quote unquote correct. But if machine born are real people, then Sophie is just like, Every Marvel supervillain where like she's correct, but then she's also murdering a bunch of people for no reason. Right? Um, like
0: Kurozo Iron Mask Rona.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) God. Speaking of fuck, like God, Gundam has a better understanding of the gender semiotics of a mask than this story does.
0: (laughs) That's gonna be the quote with the tweet when I post this episode. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's fair. I just, man. I've been like thinking a lot about kind of cackling pulpy supervillains and their gender implications recently. Um, And it's so amazing to me how much Brandon wrote a story that is about those things and he doesn't
2: know it.
0: I feel like we're constantly saying Brandon did X and didn't know it. Um, And it's so fascinating getting a little window into his reasoning on this one with this other article.
1: I mean, I also do have to ask myself to some extent, like, you know, um, uh, certainly even this little annotation on the deleted scene thing is like, it's, it's, this is bonus content, right? It's not something that people are literally paying for, but it is part of Brandon's brand. So I can understand the idea that he might not want to emphasize, like, subversive political reads of his fiction in this kind of context, right? Um, But if you you take that thought to its logical conclusion, then you're saying something like, Brandon Sanderson is a secret communist, (laughs) (laughs) but he can't write about it on his website because then his publisher would fire him. And I think that's a very stupid
2: idea. Um...
0: How's about this for an unexpected twist at the end of the podcast? Um, there's a part two of this article if you scroll down.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I did see that. Consequences of the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Let me, let me see. Oh, he doesn't think that Sophie is Melly, of course. Um, Or, uh, wait a minute. No, he does think that Sophie is Melly. He's just using the word Sophie to refer to this character, which is a weird choice to me. I'm not sure Um,
0: which which is the dead name and which is the name here.
1: I mean, so, like, the way that (laughs) I... Like, if I had to... Here's my head. If I were writing fucking fan fiction of this, Uh to me, Melly is... A like, I I would think that Melly is probably, um, probably assigned female at birth. Shit! Oh, I just came up with a really. If I okay, here's my cool idea. Mm-hmm, if I remember. Mm-hmm.
0: give this me the best not, version.
1: The best version is the Wode scanned Melly's fetus and were like, "Oh, this is a trans man. We understand." We will place him in a world where he will be like raised as a girl, and then he'll discover the technology that lets him live his true life. That'll be his cool heroic narrative. And Melly lived that out and got to have like this awesome fucking cyberpunk trans body that like reads uh, as instantly masculine, uh-huh. even to weirdos from fantasy states.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh. Got everything
1: he wanted. And, like, they even set him up to have a hot-mask boyfriend who, who was gonna maybe, like, conquer a state together with him, right?
2: Uh-huh. And,
1: and then that hot-mask boyfriend told him to fuck off, and it all fell apart. And Melly's non-binary, actually, not a trans man. And, like, the whole thing is about, like, the liberal understanding of what a trans person is. <laughs> and how, like you can have a narrative that says that it's about liberation and rebellion that is still fundamentally about upholding the state. Uh-huh. That's what my Melly fan fiction is about.
0: That's way better.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs>
1: <sighs> There's also the sexism problem, Brandon writes. <laughs>
0: Uh... Unfortunately, this twist also does something troubling. With the twist, instead of being a self-motivated person bent on changing the mind of someone trapped by the establishment, Sophie becomes a pawn without agency, a robot used only to further Kai's development.
2: God. God.
0: And this is where the flashback scenes were added in, was to try and... Make up for the fact that you don't see Melly uh, as a character.
1: Um, The last, not the last, the second to last sentence of this post is: Am I way overthinking what is to most of you just a lighthearted post cyberpunk story with giant robots? And my answer, Brandon, is no. You aren't thinking about it enough.
0: (laughs) You're underthinking it.
1: Like he's he's just talking about like Melly and Sophie as this mystery and like hiding their true nature. Um and then it's just like I dropped several hints that Melly was female then changed the ending to have Wode outright say it and I'm just like
2: my guy <laughs> uh,
0: It's this is such a fascinating little thing to dig into
1: It really really is a- like, I'm really glad I read this story um while I was working while while I was like reading this story and like, like prepping for this podcast. Uh, I was talking to my good friend Ben about this, who, like, he hasn't wanted to listen to Arcanum so far because he, like, hasn't read Elantris and he he might want to, right? So he doesn't want to spoil himself on it. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of trying to be like, oh, should I try to get Ben to listen to this episode? I mean, it'd only spoil one novella and he doesn't have to read that novella.
0: And it's, it's not only- even like, it's a standalone novella even more so than some of his other stuff because it's not even in a setting with anything else for once.
1: yeah. Um, but, but like, uh, I I ended up deciding, even though I think the story has like glaring flaws, especially when you read these, uh, bonus, this bonus material, (laughs) uh, like I did end up telling him like, yeah, I think you should read it. Like, it's not very long, you know, um, give it a a try. Um, in part also because like, I, like I said, I've been thinking a lot about supervillains. Um. Well, one thing that I think is, like, Brandon doesn't even mention this at all, but this whole story, like, deeply reveals the fundamental eroticism of the idea of a relationship between a superhero and a supervillain, right? Or between, like, a chosen hero and their nemesis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, I-, I mean, because of the kind of person I am, from the first moment that Melly's messages to Kai show up, I was like, oh, I like this. I hope this is the person the story the date is with on the story, right? Because, like, because I like that kind of dynamic. Um, but, like, yeah, like, this really, the story really shows how, like, you could have a situation where someone being a genuine rival to you is, like, the only erotic charge you can feel. And and I don't mean that, when I say erotic, I don't literally mean, like, sexual, although it, it includes that. I mean it in the sort of, the way that people use the word er- erotic when they're talking about theory which means sort of like something like having an emotional charge i guess is maybe like the uh, i knew knew a better way to define this back when i read theory all the time in college but the point being that like you can have a superhero and a supervillain who aren't fucking and who don't really have any sexual tension but they still have a lot of desire towards each other right like right um and this is kind of a story that's all about that. Um,
2: it just.
0: <sighs> yeah. Um, and like, this is in particular within a subset of that, that is, this is the like, oh yeah, Melly is my nemesis, definitely for sure, when actually Kai doesn't think about Melly at all. Other than, like, ah, some cute messages. That's nice. We'll fight at some point. I don't really think about Melly that much, though. Meanwhile, Melly is, like, has this picture of Kai taped on the wall and is throwing darts at it. Sexy motherfucker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I didn't quite read it that way just because, like, Kai is paying attention to Melly's attacks. Um, But I do think that, like, Kai doesn't really return the feeling is, is, like, correct. Yeah. Um like I think that Melly's attempts to get Kai's attention are working but
0: it's not but the Kai kind of attention is- that Melly wants. Yes. Um this has been a very fascinating read. Uh I had basically no expectations of anything going into this. <laughs> um because it was like you read the description um and the description is just uh, God Emperor Chai Romanus is lord of all he surveys. He has defeated all foes, has united the entire world beneath his rule, and has mastered the arcane arts. He spends his time sparring with his nemesis, who keeps trying to invade his world. Except for today. Today, Kai has to go on a date. Forces have conspired to re- require him to meet with his equal, a woman from another world who has achieved just as much as he has. What happens when the most important man in the world is forced to have dinner with the most important woman in the world? It's like I had no I was expecting none of this. This shit.
1: Um, yeah. No, there's definitely there. Like it. It is I, one thing that's cool about this story is that you can summarize its premise as you know that excerpt does in a way that sounds interesting, uh, but doesn't give away any of like what it's actually about. Um, yeah. Like you don't even get to the brain in a jar stuff with that summary, and like that's a reveal in chapter one. Um, yeah.
0: Um, and it doesn't even talk about, really, like, the cover of this book is a guy with a sword casting magic up at a big robot. Uh, yeah. And there's no mention of robots at all or or any anything like that. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's interesting.
1: I uh, do think, you know, to be perfectly honest, I understand why it's in there for many reasons. But I yeah. honestly think the story would be better without all the action shit. Yeah. I don't really think it, like, adds anything to the ideas that the story is about. Um, Like, I would be willing to accept an argument that because so much of the story is about people being placed into, like, fictional simulations, and those are fictions of a type that would have a lot of action elements, um, that it somehow makes sense that their lives just like, like, Kai has probably been having a fight scene every so often his entire life. Right? Mm-hmm. Like as soon as things start to get a little bit boring, the woad like dials in the battle raging for him, right?
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Like <laughs>
2: Um
0: Yeah. Uh the version of this without any of that or I see the scene that was introduced after the cut which is the paintball scene um does feel extraneous um yeah and it is it helps you get some character from kai but n- nothing that you don't get later uh which is that oh he wants to be noble hero man yeah um, and so um. really
2: hmm? sorry go on. uh
0: so it really what it ended up being for me is just here is a scene for that is a box to put some jokes in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Here's um, a, here's a question that is in my mind. Yes. Why do the wode make people choose and actually have sex with the people that they're going to procreate with? <sighs>
0: Great question. Uh, it's because have... it's because each uh, behind each brain in a jar is another jar with their body in it, and uh, you know they they open the jar, they you know they do their they thing,
1: the off, <laughs> or they stick a <laughs> giant terrifying needle in, which I think is how they get.
0: Yeah, that's it. probably what they do in the brain. Yeah. Uh
1: huh. Um. I, I so like I have an idea for it, and Brandon doesn't even mention it in any of this post stuff. So I, uh-huh. I think. It, I don't think this is on his mind, but if I were the woad, I would know that there were going to be people like Melly slash Sophie who were going to like recognize that it's all bullshit. Once I tell them that it's all bullshit. And like those people are not going to be satisfied with social contact only with machine born. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the reason that they're making people meet up and have heterosexual sex to have babies is because they want there to be social contact between liveborn in a way that they control, um, like Melly is trying to use this meeting and other similar ones. Uh, like there, there are like only a few ways that liveborn are like allowed to interact with each other, right? It's like it's this sex thing. It's like invading each other. Um, it's like playing paintball, <laughs> um, and. Melly is using all of those to attempt to rebel against the Wode, but I think she might be a little ultimately doomed because, like, uh, I don't think that the Wode has failed to anticipate that, basically.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. This is like hooking up with someone on Tinder and packing the Communist Manifesto in your back pocket.
1: Yeah, but also your mom, who is also the government, (laughs) told you that you have to hook up with this person. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's other (laughs) layers, but...
1: I I just, I cannot emphasize enough how your parents and the state are the same entity in this story. (laughs) Because it's really a lot for me.
0: (sighs) This is an endless hole to to just keep diving into. Um, And I think we could probably talk about this forever. And... um, God, This is such a weird standout thing here, especially as like the only time i I have seen um Brandon write the word sex,
1: yeah,
2: um, like I, this is
1: what happens when Brandon Sanderson decides to write directly about sexuality. He doesn't, first of all,
2: he doesn't do that.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and also, like... I don't know. This I've lost my train of thought. But... Now more than ever, I have the auteur's respect for Brandon <laughs> Sanderson as this, like, almost Lucensian... Uh, which is to say... Uh, it's like Dickensian, but for George Lucas, it's Lucensian. Um,
1: oh God. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't previously know the, like, based on the word Dickensian element of that. I had been <laughs> thinking like, I wonder how Nora got an ends sound out of the name Lucas. Well, it's, I'm sure there's some good reason for it. And now I know, and it's, it's not a good reason.
0: <laughs> it's from Never Tell Me the Pods, which is a Star Wars podcast. Um uh the people who host that w- would use the word Lukensian and that it made its way onto the podcast and um and then uh, now it lives on in, in me, uh in my arm. Uh, but <laughs> um Yeah. What a what a weird little book. Um we are gonna do more bonus episodes uh behind the Patreon wall if you want to hear more things like this of other uh, Sanderson, I guess, fringe content, uh, uh, Cosm- Cosmere adjacent content. Uh, uh, the next one we do, I think is going to be Skyward, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think I want to read Skyward.
0: Yeah. Um, it says here on BrandonSanderson.com that Skyward three is at 2%. Oh,
1: great. So I love he, a loading bar for a book.
0: Well, he's got three other bars that are Songs of the Dead, Revision, Rhythm of War, Final Proofread, and "Don Shard, Novella Draft 2, which all three of those are at 100%.
2: Okay.
1: Well, good for him.
0: I don't remember what Songs of the Dead is. Um, but it's a thing.
1: Are your parents also kind of the state in Skyward? Uh, no. Okay.
0: No, the state is fascism in Skyward.
1: Right. I do remember th- I remember the state in Skyward having a lot of a presence, and I remember it being about teens. So yeah, that's the, kind of why I asked.
0: The state is the military, uh-huh. um, pretty much exclusively. Um, that's also a really interesting one. But we'll get into that on the next episode of Whatever This Is um ours <laughs> arcanum bonus episodes uh which you can you find the patreon at patreon.com slash export audio or export if you want to save some keystrokes. Uh where could people find you online?
1: Uh yeah you can find me on Twitter at Shar Asna Blunt. Um it's a great app. Thank you. That we
0: don't say stole. that enough but it's a great app.
1: Thank you very much. Stole that one from a tweet that Jackson made. Um, <laughs> I uh I also have a, another podcast about Moby Dick called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, um, which you can find by typing that into iTunes, or you can also just go to dot slash whale, and it's there.
0: <laughs> I love that it's slash
1: whale. I mean, there weren't any other whale podcasts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yet.
1: Oh somebody's uh, gonna make like an actual like like marine science podcast and they're gonna have to become our enemies.
0: <laughs> i will start um something whale well, really, brother i don't know i didn't have i didn't have anything to pull on there i'm gonna start a free willy recap podcast <laughs> um and it'll be uh abnormal slash cooler whale
1: <laughs> oh that would really own me all right <laughs>
0: You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find the stuff I do at norablake.online. Um, and that's the plunks. We did it. We did a podcast. Great. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We'll be back next time with our regular cast and crew to talk about, I think, Elantris chapters 10 to 12. Is that right?
1: I think that's correct, yes.
0: Uh, so until then. Insert sign off here.